0: Welcome to the Writing to Get Business Podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer.
1: This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have with me today Chris Cheatham-West, who I first met as a fellow speaker at the National Speakers Association at the Winter Conference of 2020, right before we went right off the cliff and COVID happened, the last time that I was with people for a very long time, other than virtually, and I know that you know the feeling. Chris, welcome to the show.
2: Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: When I first met Chris, he was planning on his book, and he has since written that book and published the book. Tell our viewer, Chris, what's the title of your book?
2: The title of my book is Digital Marketing for Results, How to Focus on What Matters.
1: The second part of your book, the subtitle, implies to me that we have many options when it comes to digital marketing. Can you lead us through, first of all, how did you come up with that title, that title of that book and that topic of the book? That's really two
2: questions. So first, the title. Okay, first the title. So I came up with the title because I realized there are so many organizations out there that were struggling in this area when it comes to digital marketing for results and how to focus on matters. in the fact of the matter is there's so many different types of channels to choose from, so many ideas out there, so many tactics you can do to grow online. So I wanted to write a book that kind of highlighted all the main factors, all the main strategies that you want to use to grow online. And I mean, one of the main reasons is I would talk to small businesses and corporate and a lot of them were having the same challenge as far as, going from traditional advertising marketing to now this digital world that we live in. That's the main reason.
1: Who are the people that you typically serve in your world as an entrepreneur and as a speaker?
2: So my typical client, customer is corporate audiences. So these are mainly managers out there that have possibly did marketing and advertising in the past, but it was more so traditional. It was more so radio advertisements, billboards. And now they're looking to figure out how can they take advantage of this online digital space and how can they make an impact and how can they get their audience to go from traditional to follow them on the web. And so that's my main audience, corporate audiences.
1: You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about a program that I attended, and, and it was probably an NSA one, about the role of influencers who have mm-hmm. corporate sponsors. And I learned some astounding information about how if an influencer tossed a certain ball in his hand, that that, that tossing of the ball could be worth thousands of dollars as long as the label of that ball. Was present. How does that influencer world affect digital marketing? I'm very curious about that. I was willing to toss the ball myself, you know, for $10,000 to throw, but nobody was coming for me.
2: <laughs> yeah, it plays a huge role because if you think about it, a person that's an influencer, they have access to an audience. And if that influencer says that they purchase a product or they use a product or service, guess what? The audience is going to believe them and they're going to be ended up purchasing from that business. And this is a lot different from a company running an advertisement on, as a commercial or on a Facebook ad or a social media advertisements and saying that, Hey, my company is great. My company is good. You should use us. You should buy our products because we tend not to just automatically believe a company that's talking about their grade, right? We rather believe somebody that we know and trust or an influencer that we've been following online for years. And we see them as a credible source. We see them as a person that, Hey, maybe they might get, be, be getting paid to do this, but there has to be a reason for them to use that product or service. So I'm going to purchase it from there. So you see that a lot. And, Uh, In the coming years, a lot of companies are increasing their budgets as far as digital. And one way they're increasing their budget is through influencers. So they're going directly to these influencers, large and small, and working with them to promote their brand. And I even know some people that are working at these top brands, and they're telling me that they work a lot with the nano influencers, which are influencers that have a smaller audience. They might not have 100,000 plus in their network. They might have 5,000, but guess what? If they promote something on their page to their audience, it's targeted. So I always use the example of mommy bloggers. So mommy bloggers, they might not have a huge audience, but guess what? These big companies know that if they pay these mommy bloggers to post about them, they know that they're going to reach a specific audience, which is mothers. So it's, it's a huge role right now.
1: That makes me think of a nurse who I know who does a lot of blogging and she works into her blogs, references to the sponsors who are paying her in very small letters at the bottom. She has a a statement, a disclaimer statement that says that this blog contains links and she may receive income if you click on the link. It makes me wonder, Chris, if I'm reading material, do I know whether that person's mentioning of products is truly a valid endorsement or is it somebody who has received hundreds or thousands of dollars to make a reference to that product?
2: Yeah, it is a challenge these days. Sometimes influencers, they would put on their post that, hey, this is an advertisement. And just like you said, your friend said, they put on the top of that page or the top of the newsletter, they say, I do get revenue from you clicking on that advertisement. So, I mean, it's always good to let people know it's an ad, right? So just like when we're watching TV, we know for sure it's advertisement. So I think that's something that needs to be looked at in the future as far as you do want to make sure that people know what they're looking at as advertisement or else it could be seen as deceitful. I mean, there's been cases where people have gotten sued because they didn't say that they were actually promoting an ad and then just post something, even though they got paid. Yeah. So that's definitely a challenge, but as consumers, we get so much content, we get so many advertisements all day, every day. It can get difficult to tell.
1: It can. And, and on that note, I was watching a guy who I would consider to be an influencer named Anthony Padilla P-A-D-I-L-L-A. I am not getting any money from Anthony, by the way, for mentioning his name. He's a guy who has got, um, I think he's a lay person. I don't think he has any medical training. And he's had a history of anxiety and depression. He's a handsome guy. He's got a talk show. And he's got millions of viewers. And he brings guests on his show who have various unusual things. Um, he, brought on people with multiple personality disorders in the show that I watched, and another one with people who don't identify or enjoy sex of any kind. And he's brought on guests about depression and so on. But what I was struck with was that we could in a half hour show, we could not go more than about seven minutes before there were YouTube inserted ads in his show. And I know that he knew he didn't know when he was taping when those would be appearing because he didn't say, you know, we'll come back after this. I found it annoying. And I don't know if people pay attention to those ads or do they click through, they wait till they get to the skip ads part. I mean, what's your impression of breaking up content with that frequency with ads?
2: So when it comes to advertisements, you definitely still want to make sure the user experience is top priority because you don't want to be in a situation where you're promoting ads every 30 seconds. So we've all been watching TV one time, maybe late at night, and the advertisements and commercials just seem to go on forever. So and that's bad user experience. And of course, usually that's the ads that we see late at night. So you want to consider, even if you're trying to make money, you still want to balance out all the content. So for example, I always tell people to think about education, entertainment, and promotion. So you want to give them the ed- entertainment and the education, and then every now and then you can promote and you can do advertisements. If it's too much advertisements, that's when people might leave. They might say, you know what, this is too much advertising. I'm tired of using this. I'm tired of watching this. TV show or talk show or podcast, I'm going to go to another podcast. So it's definitely something you want to look into as far as how much you actually put in there because there's only so much people can take. All right. So I think that you, that people definitely want to consider what is the user experience first and then give them, give them information, give them something of value and then thinking about selling versus only trying to sell, sell, sell majority of the time. So I think that's what some brands get wrong is that they're constantly trying to sell all the time and they forget about the actual customer experience. They forget about actually giving first before they're trying to take money.
1: Another thing that YouTube is doing, and they're doing it to my channel, they find the videos that I have that have the most views and they're inserting the ads at the beginning of my video without my permission, without me getting any income from those ads, because I don't have enough subscribers and enough view hours to qualify to be part of the advertising program. So I was horrified when I found that. And I looked to see how I could eliminate it. And it turns out that I can't. So you've got the user experience being controlled by YouTube in a way that benefits the advertisers and YouTube, but doesn't benefit the channel owner, until you reach that point of being qualified to get, you know, 10 cents from every time somebody clicks on that ad. And I don't know if our viewers are aware of that. I certainly was shocked when I went onto my channel and said, hey, where did this come from? Because they were putting in ads from people who are my competitors on my writing channel, where I give writing tips, and they were advertising people who help others write books. Well, that's
2: what I do. Yeah. There it's on my video. So I've, I'm objecting to that, Chris. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> it's definitely not fair. I've heard concerns about that for a while now as far as other advertisers adding on to your content. So I definitely don't think that's fair. You know, I think you definitely want to have control over that. And I think it's a, I think one of those things where it's like once the, you get the subscribers, then you can kind of kind of choose pick and choose what type of advertisement show on your platform. But yeah, that's one of the challenges, you know, that's one of the challenges of a platform like YouTube. They do have a lot of control on the platform. That's why some people they make sure not only to put the content on YouTube, but put their content on other channels as well. So on other platforms, the thing about these days, there's the, platforms have the upper hand, you know, like us as the users, the business owners, we can wake up one day and they can decide, you know what, it's going to cost five to 10 bucks for you to post anytime on social media. And then guess what? We have to kind of deal with it. So what we have to do is make sure that we're more diverse within the marketing space, diverse in the different channels, you know, diverse in the way we make money, the way we get customers, you know, not just on, social media and not just on YouTube, but maybe from Google as well, from people typing in certain keywords. So we got to make sure it's diverse as well. That's what I would re- always recommend.
1: And I'm sure you know of people who have been shut out from Facebook or you know, they've broken some rule or they've perceived to have been breaking some rule. My YouTube channel was shut down a few years ago when I was using a service that would take a video and insert images and music to match my video, my audio file. And what they did one time was they used music that the owner claimed the owner had not given this platform permission to use. So the video went up on YouTube and I had no idea there was music in there that was an issue. And then I got a message from YouTube that I had violated the copyright rules with my channel. And they wouldn't tell me exactly what went wrong, what I did wrong, but I knew it wasn't child pornography and it wasn't hate and it wasn't sexually oriented. So it had to have been this video. And I ultimately, I figured out which video it was and I took it down. And then I got my YouTube channel back. I had hundreds of videos on that going back to 2009. So without that channel, I was in trouble. So I'm just bringing this up related to what you said about being diverse. If you had all of your marketing on Facebook or all of your content on LinkedIn or everything on YouTube, and then you break some real or perceived rule, whether you did it intentionally or not then you're out in the cold. Have you heard of people who have gone through those kinds of experiences?
2: Yes. I mean, some of my clients, they have many videos, and then a couple of the videos are not able to run ads because of the content in the videos. Maybe it has to do with medicine because some of my clients are doctors. It has to do with a type of medicine or sometimes politics, so it can get taken down. And I tell them the same thing because, like you mentioned, If you're putting all your eggs in one basket on a channel, any day now they can raise the fees, they can change the algorithm, they can change how everything works. And like I said, it's out in the cold. So different types of ways to gain your traffic. And even that's why for years people have been talking about how you want to make sure you're building your list, your your other revenue streams, because you want to have direct access to your audience. You don't want to be controlled by a platform that's going to limit your audience to 5% every time you post. So you want to make sure you're building. So at any given time, you can reach them. You can ask them about purchasing your product or services, or you can just give them advice and you know for sure that they're going to be reached. So yeah, I have heard of that and I definitely think it's something to look out for. And no matter how successful somebody is on one platform, you definitely want to look at different channels. Because there was a story uh, a while back ago about this company, they sold promotional products on Facebook, and 80% of their traffic came from Facebook. And then that year, Facebook ended up changing the way people see content. So they saw more personal content instead of like promotional content. And business content. And then three months later, this company closed down because that was pretty much drop majority of the traffic. That's where they got all their traffic from. And then once they made that change, they couldn't really survive after that. Wow, that's disheartening. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We're gonna circle back to your book, Chris. You took me on some very interesting journeys here for the last few okay. okay. minutes. Did you decide when you were planning the content for this book that you would seek a publisher or were you planning from the beginning to independently publish it? Or did you go with a hybrid publisher?
2: So early on, I decided to do independent publishing because I realized that my main purpose of writing the book was to grow my business. And I remember even talking to you about, some advice as far as like independent versus going to the major publishers. And I realized that for my business right now, I wanted to grow it. And I wanted to get my credibility up and I wanted to get my authority up as far as this marketing space. And I knew independent was the way to go because I can go and get the book done faster and I can immediately start to grow my business through the book because I was already a speaker, professional speaker for. I'll say four years before I wrote my book. And I would always hear about how writing a book can create credibility for your brand. I didn't really believe it until I actually wrote the book. And then whenever I present, people come up to me asking for consulting services, for me to come to their organization, for me to help them on a monthly basis. And I realized this is the same presentation I've been given for years. You know, so I was like, it's the same exact presentation. I mean, I know I get better a little bit every year, but it was just different after I had that credibility. And so that's when I realized like, yeah, this is a really good opportunity. And that's one of the reasons I, I went independent and it worked out. That's such
1: a great story. Chris. Yeah. Tell me about how you got some attention to your book after you finished writing it that launch process, or how you were able to make it visible, to make you more visible?
2: So yeah, so whenever I published a book, I thought to myself that I want to make sure that I can get out to people. So I didn't want to just write a book and then have it sit at my house just to to say that I'm an author. (laughs) So I wanted to actually get out there so I can grow my business. So one thing I did was right when I wrote it, I made sure to start bringing that to presentations. I made sure to start posting that on social media. So I decided, you know, I'm not going to just do one post on social media about my book that's releasing. I'm going to continue marketing it for months and months. I'm going to continue marketing until I have a next book. And so that actually works because every time I post, 90% of the time I get new sales to the book. Because every time I post, not everybody saw the last post. And there's always so much things to to look into. So what I do right now is one person on my team, they look at my book and they create graphics about the content of the book. And they're giving me graphics like on a weekly basis. And then, then I can post those graphics on my social media platforms and my newsletter, and that can continue to generate some revenue. So that's one way, uh, partnering with organizations that already sell products such as books or has an audience, uh, doing bulk orders to different conferences before I speak. So, yeah, so so it's a lot of um, mainly marketing online.
1: What would go into the graphics that your team creates about the
2: book? Can you say again, please?
1: What would go into the graphics that your team creates from your book?
2: Okay, so for sure. So for example, one part of the book, it talks about search and optimization. And then it says, here's three different tools to find out what your rank is and what you can do to measure your traffic. And then so they would list those three things out and then they'll put the book right next to it. And then from there, that's it. And I'll just post that. And then underneath it says, save, share, uh, contact for more details. And it gives people information that they can use to understand more about the book so they can decide if they wanna purchase it and they can see if it's for them as well. So you're giving them information and then you're getting them to purchase after versus trying to sell, sell, sell all the time, but instead give them some parts of the book so they can know if it's for them or not. Mm -hmm. Are
1: you leading them to a link on Amazon
2: are you doing the fulfillment of the orders within your company so i do both so i do both uh, so i tell people if they want a signed copy then they can go directly to the website and if they want it directly from amazon that's fine as well but signed copies, co- copies you come through the website so yeah that's usually what i tell people and then whenever i post i just make sure to say hey link it link is in the bio signed copy on this website, and then if you want a direct copy or e-book, then you can go to Amazon. Mm-hmm.
1: That reminds me of when I co-edited several textbooks with people, and we were in all different parts of the country, and we got together once a year for a professional conference, so I brought sheets of labels, and we sat down, and each of us signed a label, probably maybe two inches by three inches labels. And then we could put those labels on the inside cover of the book and say, here is a copy of a book signed by all three authors, even though we didn't physically write on the book itself, but it served the same purpose.
2: Wow. That's a good idea. I never heard of that.
1: I have a woman now, my virtual assistant who controls my inventory of my books, which she keeps in her home. And, Every once in a while, I get a request for a signed copy of a book, but I never really thought about what you just said in terms of if you want a signed copy of the book, order it from me. Otherwise, you go to Amazon, where Amazon charges no shipping. We do charge shipping, and that has been a deterrent. So now you've given me an idea, Chris.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm going to start marketing signed copies
2: of my book. <laughs> Definitely. And I hey, that's so. what I did when I initially launched it too. It's like I put posted, I did a box opening. So whenever I first got the book for the first time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I had my wife recorded and it recorded me opening the box and opening the book for the first time. And oh, I just cool. said, hey, go to this website for a signed copy. And yeah, within an hour, a lot of people purchased. That is nice. You know, I've
1: never had anyone video me opening up a box of my books. I like the smell that comes from the box. Did you smell the
2: box? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I did at the first time. (laughs) There's nothing like opening it for the first time. It was like, man, this is uh, insane. Cause like you're writing it on paper for months and months and then you don't think much of it really until like you see it completed in your hand. And it's like, wow, (laughs) it's an amazing feeling.
1: It is such a sense of accomplishment.
2: Yeah
1: to think that came from your head and, and you finished it because Chris, there are a lot of people who come up with the idea and get partly through a book and then it stalls and it just sits there. It's such a tragedy.
2: Definitely. It's, it's one of those things. Just got to knock it out (laughs) little by little. So there's so many different processes you can go through, but uh, some people will lock themselves in the hotel room. Others just, Write a paragraph a day. So I think it's just doing what works for you.
1: And what worked for you in terms
2: of getting that book finished? So I think it was uh, for. I told me I was telling myself I was going to write a book for a year or so, and then I finally started it. Once I started it, I would write a couple paragraphs every day. So I would say three to four days a week, and then I gave myself a deadline. And then when the deadline was approaching, like I started to write like a page each day just to knock it out. So it was a tough process because I was told myself that I have to be consistent in order to get it done. I can't just write sporadically, randomly. (laughs) So I need to figure out, okay when am I going to write and stick to it? And so that's what really helped me. So like setting that deadline and then trying to make that deadline, whether it takes a couple hours a day, or one-hour day or 30 minutes a day, just knocking it out. And then I didn't really write chapter after the other. One chapter after the other It's more so like I would write some content on one chapter, some content on another chapter, and I just kept doing it like that. So it kept me interested in it. It kept me motivated.
1: And you can really start anywhere in the book. You don't have to start with chapter
2: one. That's interesting. I <laughs> never really thought of it. <laughs> So start, I started, I think I started my introduction in chapter one. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, I helped Greg uh, Williams by ghostwriting a couple of his books. And when we had to do our sample chapter for the traditional publisher who accepted the book, we picked the chapter that he had the most content for, that he was most interested in, and he would do the best job with in terms of creating the framework. And then he interviewed. Me, or I actually, the other way around, I interviewed him about the content of that chapter, created the transcripts, and then spent the hours and hours and hours editing the transcripts to make the chapters. That's what working with a ghostwriter can do. Um, And the publisher had a deadline, which we negotiated with. Um, They originally gave us three months to get the book done, and we negotiated for four. What I like about your approach is you gave yourself a, a deadline and you knew that you had to meet that deadline, even though there wasn't a contract hanging over your head that said, you must get this done.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. I know that that's a could be a motivator, too. If you sign a contract. That's true.
1: Chris, where can our listener find out more about you and get a signed copy of your book?
2: So you can go to chrisinwest.com and that's where you're going to contact me and I can send you a signed copy and I'll give you and I'll send you the link, and then you'll just uh, purchase from there. but yeah, so many different uh, opportunities chris yeah, in chrisinwest.com or on in LinkedIn, send me a message, Chris in Cheatham West, and then I'll definitely respond. All right,
1: and let's spell your name for those people who are listening to this as opposed to watching it on our YouTube channel.
2: All right, so Chris C-H-R-I-S and last name C-H-E-E-T-H-A-M-WEST, W-E-S-T.
1: Okay, and then your website has the letter N after Chris, Chris
2: N-WEST. Yeah, in west.com, yes.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you, Chris. Give the name of your book one more time
2: Digital Marketing for Results How to Focus on What Matters.
1: All right. Thank you, Chris, so much for sharing your wisdom. What has come through is your commitment to getting this done, recognizing that your audience, which is the corporate audience, needs to understand different forms of digital marketing. Billboards and paid ads are not the name of the game anymore. When I was doing a program about a year ago, I did an image search for yellow book. What I got was a yellow book and a book. When I was looking for yellow book, phone book, mm. image companies didn't even understand what a phone book was anymore. So we know that we've moved well beyond that into an era of ads on YouTube, not putting all your eggs in the basket, known as Facebook, making sure that you're diverse, giving yourself a commitment to get your book done. And Chris pointed out how his team is using graphics, pulling content out of the book to create little snippets with tips from the book an image of the book and a link as to where the purchaser can get the book and that that consistently being added to social media is keeping his sales strong. So those are valuable tips that you shared us with us today, Chris.
2: Definitely. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. And thank you to you who's been spending your time listening to Chris Cheatham West talk about digital marketing. I hope that he has inspired you with some ideas And if you are questioning the value of your book, I hope you paid attention when Chris talked about the fact that when he gives talks, people come up and ask him for help with their marketing programs. He's got authority and visibility and credibility because of the book that he's written. Come back next week for a new show, new topic. This has been Writing to Get Business. And I'm Pat Eyer. Hi, this is Pat Eyer, and I have with me today Michelle Seiler-Tucker, who is a specialist in the merger and acquisition, getting a company strategically positioned so that as it operates, it becomes profitable and it becomes saleable. Michelle, what were some of the key topics that we covered in your
0: show? So thanks, Pat. Um, One of the uh, so we'll go through all the key topics. I think where we can start at is why did I write my first book called Sell Your Business for More Than it It's Worth? And I wrote my first book for credibility, lead generation, and exposure. And let me tell you, that book really catapulted me to the next level. So I encourage everyone to, to in business to write a book because it really separates you from your competition. We also talked about, you know, why is it that Steve Forbes says 80% of businesses will never sell? What that reason is. And we talked about You know, the biggest mistakes that business owners make, we also discussed how to start with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey talks about, and how to plan your GPS exit model from the beginning. We talked about how you could possibly even create a bidding war on the sell of your business and really maximize value. We talked about the difference between hiring a business broker and a mergers and acquisitions advisor. And we talked about how not all are cre- created equal. <laughs> that, that You know, some specialists really do a great job and, and some don't. So you really need to do your due diligence and do your homework there. And gosh, I think we talked about so much more. Go listen to this episode. It's probably one of the best. Thank you, Michelle. That was an excellent summary.
1: And be sure to you who's watching this show to catch Michelle Seiler Tucker. Even if you've never thought about selling a company, it's something that you do need to think about. And Michelle's show will tell you why.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingticketbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast
2: is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.